Welcome to Cannon Fodder, a behind-the-scenes look at the Glass Cannon Podcast. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Cannon Fodder. My name's Joe O'Brien. And I am the Right Honorable Troy Valley. <laughs> How come that hasn't been an NPC character yet? Oh, hello there. I am the Right Honorable Omas from. <laughs> oh, Sober Omas. Yeah, That's sober. that voice. So masked. Uh Yeah, I should, I should bring this voice out at some point. You know, I was just saying to you before we started recording, I always plan out these fun voices I'm going to do for the characters or for the NPCs, and then I forget it in the moment and always just resort back to, like, this lork rag hybrid. I'm just going to say, stop recording, let me get this voice. Okay, now re-record. I've, I've got the voice. You, you feel the pressure of the studio audience, A man. lot of pressure, man. We don't like to edit, so I like to just do it live. <laughs> We'll do it live. <laughs> uh, well, we are here today to ring in the new year. I mean, it's, it's not quite here yet, but we're, we're a day away, buddy. We're finishing the year. Well, two days away. Either way, we are. Yeah, we're finishing up the year. Uh, let's do a, a cannon fodder that is what? 2016 in review. So a solid three and a half hour episode. Yeah, right. A good year. We'll go review. back over every single game we had, every session, mm-hmm. you know, really kind of break it all down. Uh, no, no, that's no, okay. I definitely have time for that. <laughs> we have no time for that. We have to get back to our families. Uh, it, it, how was your Christmas? Oh, my Christmas was wonderful. Spent the uh, time with my wife and her family in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Uh, uh, that's the sweetest place on earth, Joe. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> I wish I was in Pennsylvania for Christmas. For Christmas. I mean, I love, Tul- I love Tulsa. I love uh, going to my wife's family in Oklahoma. It's a, it's a great place, but nothing's like home, man, and, and Pennsylvania. Yeah. And that's home. And but your home is Boston. So. My home is Massachusetts. You know, this is my first year away from home for Christmas. Did you? Were you sad? It was a little. Uh, it was a little sad. <laughs> but like I told my parents, I'm like, you got 38 years with me. That's more than every other child ever. <laughs> so they should consider themselves lucky. <laughs> consider yourselves lucky. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this is my first first away from home. Joe. Did Did you FaceTime with your parents on Christmas Day, or can they not handle that that technology? My My little brother was able to show them that and uh, it freaked them out. They're like, "No, robots! They're coming to kill us! They've stolen our son and put him in a tiny pad." <laughs> they uh, They got confused. <laughs> Well, we are recapping and talking about episode 83 today. Oh, man, did we have some fun in that app? We sure did. We sure did. I, <laughs> you know, I think what really stood out about that session to me after the fact was how much fun I had. Like, it was just one of those <laughs> sessions where we really just let loose. We had a good time. And even though I guess not a whole lot happened in terms of plot or anything, and even the combat itself against the uh, Lucrata, is that my pronouncing that right? Yeah. Lucratas, they were interesting creatures, but it wasn't all that deadly or anything like that but it wasn't boring no, at all no. to me some I mean, new things happened that we weren't uh, used to yeah yeah so that was interesting mechanic wise and also the weapon dropping and stuff like that was you know Will just kind of walking away from his own weapon into danger that, that creates some tension of sure. course but for the most part I found it to be one of those episodes or I guess I should say sessions we all have these where we were just we just felt on Everybody was just having a really good time in high spirits. You're not worried about character death. You're not stressed about what you're going to say next or how good your role playing is or doing the right accent or, you know, we just relaxed and had a good time. 
sometimes those are the best sessions. You know, you don't always have to be, you know, so focused on the goals and, and the moving the story along and, and the plot and we got to kill these characters. Sometimes you just want to have a good time, but while also playing the game at the same time. Those are the best sessions. Totally. I, I completely agree. And these creatures created an interesting struggle for us mm -hmm. they they start off the combat in in a fantastic way by luring umlo in and and uh, well let me just start by asking you why why umlo i mean why would you, why the npc of all four of us would you pick that to have that stressful situation i did not want it to be umlo i really wanted you know going back to the end of last week's episode i really wanted it to be one of the main four but i wanted it to land i i definitely wanted their lure me like mechanically to work and i i was afraid that you guys your will saves would be too good and then it would just kind of ruin the moment so i felt good about having umlo roll it and fail so that i could at least like get this story across that they've been following you and that's why they have all this information because I think that even Matthew who is playing umlo was Matt yeah playing umlo was it Matthew or was it Grant uh, i think it was Grant I think even though Grant was playing Umlo new in metagame wise, that there's no chance that that was Ingerhill. I think there might have been an element where, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. I'm like ninety nine percent sure. So leaving that out there was fun. But if I said roll a will save and you passed, I'd be like, yeah, something's not right out there. I don't know. It just helped to build tension more. I would have preferred to do it like Sir Will, but like we're gonna make Sir Will roll a will save against enchantment. Forget it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it had to happen eventually. Yeah, you know, and and, and, you know, and I, I guess failed. I, uh, I, under, I overestimated Sir Will. <laughs> you wouldn't be the first. <laughs> you wouldn't be the first. So that creates, obviously, a, a tense and stressful environment to start. I loved it. I thought it was really interesting because you don't know what you're going to see. And then to walk in as Will blindly and see this like animal. Yeah. I, I wasn't expecting that at all. I thought it would be some devious spell casting someone that, that has been following us. Instead, it's a wild animal that it, this is how they get their prey. Head of a badger, hooves of a stag and razor sharp teeth and a large creature. I mean, it was big. Wait, if I'm not mistaken, I thought they didn't have teeth. They have razor sharp teeth. I thought their jaw is just oh, like it's bone. bone. Sharp ridges of bone instead sharp of Sharp ridges teeth. of bone. Yeah. Just brutal. Yeah. Brutal. And they have been tracking us. You yeah. said? So let me ask you from a GM perspective. How does that work mechanically? Because I, I could tell you I was just GMing a one-off Pathfinder Society session where something like this came up, where you know that the players are being followed. In this case, they were being tricked by an illusion, a persistent illusion that continued to happen. And by the rules of the game, I think that you get automatic checks. Like the GM is supposed to roll checks to yeah. see if you are are seeing the illusion or not. Did you ever struggle with that with this particular episode when you th imagined how it would play out? Because we had when we ended last week's, you knew this was happening. Yeah. So and in the previous episodes, you knew they were tracking us. Why didn't we get a roll to see if they were uh, if we could? sense them following us we've discussed something like this before on on uh, cannon fodder like pre-rolling perception checks because you're very good when you gm of just having us roll perception checks all the time you know what i mean so then even if it's nothing just to keep us on our toes so then when you're asking us to roll for something we won't overthink it I don't do that as much because I'm focusing on too many other things. If I did that more mm -hmm. often, like, you know what, roll a perception check. You don't see anything. I roll a 35, I don't see anything. Just asking you to roll a perception check. You know, <laughs> right. if I had done that, then when you first entered Minder Hall's Valley, I could ask you, hey, roll a perception check. Uh, 
okay, everything seems to be fine. You guys are going to be way more wary where I don't do it as often as you do, Joe, when you GM. So I, I, it's it, it's my fault for not uh, introducing that element to the game. What I like, one of the listeners suggested is like just you pre-roll a bunch of perception checks for the players before the game, and then you can decide what or what not to tell them as the game goes on. I don't know. It's, it's all about style. I just decided, you know, had, if you guys had said, you know, I want to make sure that we're not being tracked. Well, then I have to roll stealth first perception. But asking you to do it without you guys coming up with the idea, it's just a, it's just a GM style thing, I think. So you would say that this is pretty consistent for you as a style, generally in your games. If someone is tracking your PCs and following them, you don't give them a roll unless they ask for it. And maybe not even just tracking, whether it's an illusion or in, in a case where the PCs are being deceived in some way, you won't give them the check unless they ask for it. Pretty much, pretty much exclusively. I mean, I've started doing that with treasure too. I mean, you guys have missed out on treasure that you didn't look for ah. um, because it required a perception check. But that's why I always say, anything else you guys want to do in the room? Right. I, that's about as much as I'm going to give you guys. Okay. Um, sure. Sometimes I'll be like, well, anything then, else you want to do in the room? Well, like then that that's chimney on us. Doesn't look uh, nothing yeah. with that chimney, and you're like, you know what? I'll do a perception check of the chimney. Yeah. Uh, that's that. That's honestly as much as I'll give you. But yeah, I. I should incorporate more perception rolls like that because then I can give you a chance to find them. But they're being pretty stealthy. You guys had no feeling that you were being pursued. No. You know, if if Baron, you know, I always Baron always makes fun of he rolls these survival checks and I never give him anything for it. Had he rolled some of those, I guess I could have given a little more information. But yeah, since you entered the valley, they've been following, listening, waiting, and here was the right time. Yeah, I, I guess it just comes down to how do you create the environment for the players that puts them in the situation that their characters are in? Because your characters in Minderhall's Valley are inevitably going to be extremely on high alert. Right. They're going to be very wary because they're walking into the teeth of the beast here, the, the maw of the beast. Going into Minderhall's Valley, we know it's going to be chock full of danger, know, knowing that there's going to be these giants kind of uniting. Now, of course, you might be able to lean back on and think, well, it's giants, so we're not going to have to go doing these really, really tight perception checks to find things. Like, either we're going to hear them and see them, or we're not. They're giants. They're not exactly stealthy. And, of course, none of us would have seen this coming, what was coming. But the characters, I think, would have been on high alert. I think there's very good reason to expect a sure. GM to just give you constant perception checks. Or to say, you don't. you have to remember, you're in a very dangerous place here. So, you know, you should keep rolling... To see if you, you don't want to say if you're being followed, but yeah, it's tough. That's what I'm saying. Like, even in that line of thinking, I'm seeing how tough it is. I also don't want you guys rolling 90 stealth checks to move around and slowing the game down. 100%. And that's the the flip side of it, too, is like, well, how are you guys moving forward? Well, him, him, and him are going to be really stealthy, and we're going to hang back. All right, well, roll the stealth check every 10 feet. This is an enormous valley. We're like on the map, eight miles is like to an inch. Um, so I'm not just going to have you roll stealth all the time. But when I feel like, okay, what do you guys want to do moving forward? Do you want to do some stealth? Do you want to just kind of roll forward? Then I'll let you roll those checks. Hey, it's a style thing. And I also, as a GM, have to have a contingency plan. So if you guys do decide to track and find these Lucratas early, then I should have been like, okay, I'm going to have you guys go back to their cave where you ended up finding all the loot, and maybe they'll jump you at the cave or something. But I, to be honest, I didn't have a contingency plan for it. Um, so in that sense, I guess I railroaded you, but I also wanted to get across their lure ability and having it come out in this way. 
Right. And that's that brings us to the whole point of the question, which is what you struggle with as a GM, what I struggled with in this game I just had with the illusion magic. It's the pure and simple fact that having the players fooled by it is so much more fun. Right. And it feels like it makes for better story. Now, I could argue that if a player rolled the proper perception check and you were like, you get the sense you're being followed. That's interesting. Yeah. There is interesting stuff you can do with that. But in the end, it really only becomes much more interesting if they're being tracked by someone intelligent, someone they know, some, or, you know, some evil creature that is, has plans or designs on why they're following them beyond just like a meal. That would be interesting. In this case, I think that it, it is probably more interesting to just have them taken in by these creatures and create a tense combat in which the end of it is just, you know, some slayed wild animals, essentially. I also knew that these are two CR5 creatures. It probably, at worst, was just going to be a few round combat. Maybe something fun would happen, like I'd make you drop your weapons. But I mean, the coolest thing about them was their powerful bite which just allows them to apply their uh, one and a half times their strength modifier on damage rolls and threatens a crit on 19 to 20, kind of like, uh, you know, improved critical or for uh, for a natural weapon for a natural weapon. Yeah. yeah. But even that wasn't that great. So I knew it was going to be that great of a combat. How do I spice it up? Having you guys duped and having this lure thing, you know, sometimes you're just the, the only other option is throw out the encounter or <laughs> or have you guys just surprise them and murder them. You, you, you have so many options as a GM. I guess you, your best way is to, as you as you plan out these encounters, think about all the possible things that could happen and decide what you want to devote your prep to. In this sense, I just said, this is how I'm going to do it. And if they, throw <laughs> they don't me get a, a check. They already, if they throw me a curveball, I'll, I'll deal with it as best I can. Yeah, but it's those kind of things that are supposed to remind you as a player to to ask for those checks. Sure. You know, and it's it's reminders like this, like this very conversation that we're having right now that I have to put keep in mind when Troy says, am I done with the room? Double check. I want to do one last scan for any items and stuff. I don't like doing that as a player. I feel like it drags. I feel like it's silly. And uh, because 99% of the time, you don't find anything else. But there are those times when you do. So maybe it is worth it. Maybe I do need to do it a little bit more. But I do love I do love the idea now of trying to, you know, going forward, trying to think about that a little more when we're venturing through is try to think of who could be following. And my least favorite thing is when someone's like, I roll a perception check, ah, shit, seven. And someone's else like, I'll roll one too. Uh, okay, and then you fail, and then the next guy rolls, and then finally somebody hits it. I'd rather have you guys decide, all right, let's perceive. Who's got the per best perception? I'll try to aid you. I'll try to aid you. I'll try to aid you. And it's one roll. Yeah. Because otherwise, it's just... Okay, well, you got it. There's no reason for skill checks if you do that too long. <laughs> right. It's a, it's a bit of luck times five. Right. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so I think the most interesting thing about these creatures personally was their loot cave, their cave of loot. Quite a cave of loot. Which was pretty awesome, not only because the loot itself was good, which we can talk about in a second, but because the story that is revealed by the idea of these, these dwarven weapons and items that we find from old, what, dwarf giant hunters back yeah. in the day... Very, very cool. And the reveal that we get there is that this is a place where giants used to come on like a pilgrimage, basically. Kind of a kind of a mecca, I called it in the episode, to to try to get across that idea of giants traveling from far and wide to come to the place where giants were first born. I don't know. It's an interesting concept to think of it. I hadn't thought of it yet in that sort of a religious context. And I'm excited to see 
where that goes, especially because we have this idea of a cathedral coming. And that whole concept is now building to me where I'm like, and for have to have to be playing a paladin in this situation, it feels awesome. I feel like there's, there's good stuff ahead. Yeah, it's just cool the idea that this was once a place where giants ruled and then they fell out and then the dwarves came and then they fell out and now the giants are rising again it's you know the passage of time was really felt by a simple loot find the circle of life the circle of (laughs) (laughs) and that brings us to the end of the episode which is another tease yet another cliffhanging tease we have a couple giants up ahead apparently with some sort of large creature i don't know if it is a giant crocodile i'm gonna go giant crocodile that's my guess on this one couldn't you see a giant just having a a giant crocodile pet on a leash that it just lets go at you and it does terrible things yeah if it's captain hook trying to read your face right now to see if i i'm not making eye contact with you i think it's not a crocodile god damn it guess we'll have to wait and see (laughs) but yeah so something smells us we get up close we can hear them talking we're stalled there for a second trying to listen even though none of us speak giant which yet another oversight what in this, hell is in going this on party this build. Party. <laughs> Bunch of min-maxers who don't read the player's guide. <laughs> oh, yeah, my Cavalier 3 Paladin 4 is really min-max. It is, though, it, it is those, those parts where you stall are very interesting because you're like, I don't want to cut off the GM's performance here, but I also want to say, like, I'm doing something during this conversation that I hear. Like, I'm either preparing to defend myself right. or moving stealthily to behind a tree or whatever the case may be, but we didn't really have a chance for that. Well, I'm sure you'll... You better give us an opportunity to do something like that nah. at the next recording, but... Nah. <laughs> so, it comes back to GM style, huh, right. Troy? It all comes back to GM style. My go-to style is, nah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they definitely hear us, so we have some, I don't know, diplomacy checks, bluff checks coming up next week. Uh, we'll see where it goes. But in the meantime, I'd like to do a little listener mail. Oh. <laughs> oh there he is. Last last one of the year, Nicklo. Yep. <laughs> it's time to listen to mail. Gotta get your brain up on it. Time to listen to mail. You gotta cue that fucking I noticed you. I noticed you eased off on the harmony after uh, Nick gave you some shit about it. Yeah, well, we got a, we both got a text from Nick Lowe last was it last week or the week before? It's like, guys, we need to have a talk about harmony. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely. I can take good. a hint, Lowe. <laughs> All right, this one comes into us from Rob, writing from Manchester, New Hampshire. You're into the wo- oh, woods that's here. Oh, your neck brother, of the woods here, uh, went to college at St. Anselm's in Manchester, New Hampshire. Your brother graduated college? I know. It's amazing. <laughs> well, you it can't is, even read. It is uh, a pleasure, Rob, this email. It was fantastic. I'd like to get through as much of it as I can because it was long, and he did exactly what we asked, which is told us a great story about his group. So first off, I'm just going to go through the group real quick. It is made up of a half-orc barbarian, okay. a tiefling druid, mm. a half-orc bar a half-elf druid, a half-elf wizard, and an Ifrit gunslinger. Jeepers. <laughs> I'm sure he doesn't have to adjust the CRs at all. <laughs> it sounds like a wild party and a lot of fun and a lot of halves, a lot of halfies in that crew. A lot of halfies. The, the, the story that he wants to tell that results in a question is they were leaving a cliffside city and decided that it would be hilarious and awesome for them to buy or purchase or rent hang gliders 
to travel, I guess, purchase hang gliders to purchase from the cliffside city to the next place they were going. So they were going to jump off this cliff and hang glide all along. Really great image. Uh, and I, I thought that it sounded hysterical. Now, he wanted to have the uh, option for a random encounter here. And the encounter did come up and he utilized right from our right from the Giant Slayer campaign uh, some River Drakes. Ah, yes, just like Rag's Keelboat. Yes, attack. just like Ra- Rag's Keelboat. How many Drakes? Multiple or just one? You're not sure. Just one. Just one. And he had it fly in and immediately do a breath attack on an NPC that killed the NPC. Oh, I like that. So he wanted to create that tension right away without having to have the PCs roll anything just yet. And it created this like this tension. And he said he had one he was expecting one of two reactions. Either the party flees and gets to ground as fast as possible and he has like an aerial chase scene or they try to turn and fight and he has a full-on aerial combat. He had prepped both situations and what he ended up getting was as expected number 1, the whole party fleeing except the bar. <laughs> now, if I'm not mistaken, I believe this is two weeks in a row we're talking about deadly heroic acts of bards. Yeah, right? it is. But yeah, we talked about that last week too. <laughs> what is it with bards, man? They just, they just want to, they leave it all on the line. They got nothing to lose. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. They're all like washed up drug addict musicians. That should be a t-shirt. Like, I don't have no family. They got nothing to lose. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I love that. Okay. So the bard decides to turn and face this thing uh, while in the air. He has a tangle foot bag. He's got some sleep arrows. He thinks if he can hit it with a sleep arrow, maybe he can have it drop out of the sky. He's very confident. So he's playing his flute. <laughs> <laughs> Needless to say, things didn't go well for the bard. Mm-hmm. It turned quickly. And before he knew it, he was off the hang glider and falling to his death. Not unconscious just yet, but now we're into the mechanics of falling damage that's going to kill a character. How high up were they? Did he tell you? He did. They were 2,000. He, he estimated them at 2,000 <laughs> feet up. A, a simple 200 D6 damage, Troy. I don't think he would have survived the fall. However, this GM uses hero points. This is an important caveat to this story. Right. So hero points are what a lot of GMs use. They're similar to Troy's bottle caps, except they're much, much more powerful than a bottle cap. Bottle cap lets you roll a d20 twice. A hero point will occasionally allow you to roll a d20 after you already knew you failed the first time. Ah. Sometimes you can trade a hero point in for even more epic stuff. Uh, and if the GM will allow for it, you can let it happen. I mentioned this in Canifodder before, a similar sort of thing where you could even shift what was happening with the story if the GM agreed with it enough using one of your hero points. Well, the bard wanted to use a hero point to quickly be able to cast Featherfall while he was falling even though it's a spell that he does not know. Mm. Now, it's in his spell list, his class spell list. He can, he, you know, he would be able to do it if he had studied ahead of time, but he wanted to turn in the hero point to do this, and the GM was at a crossroads. And this is where the question comes in. The question is, in this situation, as a GM, do you allow him to spend the hero point to do something, for all intents and pur- purposes, completely ridiculous and impossible? And again, we always say this with this caveat on Kevin, on Cannon Fodder, Whenever we say, like, ridiculous and and it's a complete fantasy, it's understood that we're playing in a magical fantasy world. We get that. Right. But we do try to stay within the rules. And we've discussed this just recently on Cannon Fodder, because those limitations are what creates tension, are what creates the drama and the drive that brings players back for more. That punishment. In this case, does he spend the hero point and allow him to learn a spell that he doesn't even know yet while he's falling to his death? And then cast it in the air, which Featherfall you can cast in the air very easily, 
to save him for what is essentially rewarding him for an incredibly heroic act that is just, let's get down to it, badass. Really, really badass. Here's the flip side of the coin, though. The flip side of that hero point is that the GM is essentially allowing you to get away with being completely, quote, foolhardy and reckless, to use Rob's words. He felt that this action could also be seen as foolhardy and reckless. And he want, he doesn't want to discourage heroic behavior, but, quote, I also want to stick to the rules. That's why I give them hero points, because I want them to be able to be heroic and maybe not necessarily bend the rules, but become almost superheroes for a moment to get around them by using a hero point. What would you have done, Troy? Is it better to let high risks keep their teeth or to encourage epic levels of high fantasy badassness? Oh, boy. Um, I mean, you know what I think without you even asking. I mean, dead bar. Dead bar. Splat. And it's not because you're punishing him for being awesome. I mean, it's just that's that's what happens when you do when you make that decision like that. Drake was there to let you know hang gliding was not a good call. <laughs> right. Take the long way back. Everyone else flees. One guy stays. I mean, this is how characters tend to die. Uh, someone says, no, no. After like three or four beers, probably. No, no, I got this. I got this, Drake. <laughs> Boom, dead. Totally. I, I mean, is that when you say it's not on his spe- uh, spell he doesn't know yet, is he of the level to be able, able to cast it? Yeah. F- yeah. Featherfall is okay. a very easy spell. And hero points are, I think it's pretty clear. You probably can't do that, but I think it says, or whatever the GM wants with the hero Right, point. right. So, but I mean, that seems way too powerful. I, you know, I don't know. I, there's there's going to be people who think one of, you know, think think the opposite for me but i think in that instance he dies mm-hmm. he has to die that is a perfect place for him to die it's 2000 feet and he decided to be heroic and maybe his action is what allowed the party to get away in the first place like had he not sacrificed himself it could have followed them all the way to the ground and harassed them on the ground and right you're doing aoe breath weapon damage forget it i mean once you said that there was a cliff face i'm like the way characters die is falling and drowning <laughs> and so i yep. knew this was gonna go this way uh yeah i mean i think he he has to die um and that's okay that's that's a good death an honorable death <laughs> it's a right honorable death <laughs> it is an honorable death it is an epic death and those are the ones that we search for i think that in this case because of your hero point system and the way that you have it laid out i think you let him cast the spell you do it's a low-level spell that is able to be cast as an immediate action while falling. It's not like sometimes I would get hung up more so on the fact that in this death plunge, he would not be able to physically cast the spell. A featherfall is one of those spells that you don't even have to roll a check to be able to cast it while falling. Right. That, that's how it's designed. The hero point idea of learning a spell that you had not prepared before I would absolutely allow that in many situations. That's the thing. If it was a situation where it was to speak with the dead and you really needed it for plot reasons to be really interesting and he hadn't, didn't have it yet, but it was able, his class could cast it and it was low enough level that he could do it. And he said he has a hero point from something awesome he did role playing wise before. You know what? I'll let you have it. Well, then why wouldn't I let you have it when your character's death is on the line <laughs> and you're asking for it? And not begging and being like, you're an asshole if you don't give me this. Like, if it turns to that, then it's like, you're dead. If he's like, ultimatum, either you give me this hero point and let my character live or I'm not playing in this game anymore, you're out, you know? But if he's like being really good-hearted about the whole thing, he's like, hey, man, I took a shot. I understand I'm falling. I understand if my character dies, but I think this would be a cool story if I could use the hero point for this. 
I say go with it. I think that there is every reason for you to do that. But yes, I agree with you, Troy, and with Rob's other, you know, struggle, which is that you risk characters thinking that they can do stuff like this all the time and get away with it. And you risk another character in your game doing something similar. And then maybe it's to a stretch that's over a line you don't want to cross. And you say no. And then it becomes, well, you let him have it, but you don't let me have it. Like, you don't like my character, but you like his character. Right. Even if that wasn't the motivation for why you're saying it, because you think that it goes across a line that you didn't cross when you let him do Featherfall. That sort of, that puts you in a tough situation. So I think that, you know, to add another argument onto your argument, Troy, I think that there is something to be said for the consistency that the rules gives you. Mm -hmm. Rules gives you the ability to always... uh, for your judgments, for the most part, to have precedent, to have reason that you did this. But if you have a group you trust and they trust you, then you have those those that flexibility. But I think you're well within your rights to, to let them live in that case. I think it's a badass story, and I think if the bard lives to tell it, maybe there is even some punishment that comes from it. Maybe he is blessed with this... Uh, this spell all of a sudden out of nowhere, but then it comes with a curse, you know, some, some simple thing. Maybe he has a point of charisma damage for a while or something like that. You know, he, he hits his face and it's scarred and it could be something like that. You know, you could have a give and take, but I think that the, I think you're within your rights to let him live there. I mean, this is a perfect example of something that is inarguably up to the GM. Yeah, yes. You know what I mean? It's yes. not like, well, no, the rule is this. No, that the, is the, the rule is quite clear. GM's call. <laughs> Um, the only way it could get complicated is Featherfall's duration is, which I don't understand. This is like uh, one of those crazy rules that you have to interpret until landing or one round per level. But what happens first? Because if it, if this is a third level bard, he would just fall in 180 feet, 60 feet per level, and then resume natural falling. Or is it until landing? So what you could do is be like, all right, I'll let you fall X amount of rounds per level, but then you're going to take the rest of the damage, in which case he would still die. But, or does Featherfall last until landing? I don't know. Yeah, that's a tough... That's a tough one. I think that it cuts off if you're a lower level, you know, if you fall too far. But also keep in mind that it's not 180 feet per round. I mean, it can't be. That's 60 feet per round with Featherfall. Yeah, but that has to increase exponentially by the nature of... Ah. of, Well, actually, no, you're not falling at speed. You're not falling at gravity. So either way, he dies. Right, I guess he dies either way. So you die on a technicality. You're dead, bud! (laughs) You're dead, I gotcha! (laughs) (laughs) All right, Troy killed off the bard. (laughs) Once again, he's successful. Another week of success for Troy. I'm ending the year with a bang. (laughs) Rob, thank you so much for the question. I hope we gave you some more things to think about. I mean, it sounds like you had it pretty well-rounded, well-thought-out, but I I think that... uh, I think that that's what Hero Points are for. That's all I'm saying. Uh, that's going to wrap it up for us this week. If you guys have any other questions or things or stories you want to tell us about your games, please write into us at glasscannonpodcast at gmail.com. A couple days from now, we're going to be celebrating the end of 2016, Ooh. a spectacular year for the GCP. Really was. I had a baby this year. It was a big year for me. You did. It was, uh, we grew so much as a podcast this year. It was just really an honor. And you guys, we have to thank for that. Thank you so much for backing the show and helping spread the word about the show and writing about the show and posting on Twitter and Facebook and Imgur and all this stuff. It's It really has been an amazing year for us and we look forward to more in 2017 and I mean more and more. We really want to make this thing 
bigger and bigger. So we appreciate your help along the way. I'm going to go on a limb and say 2017 is going to be a big year for the GCP. Even bigger? Even bigger, Jeff. An enlarged year for the GCP? I'm casting enlarged person on the GCP. <laughs> right now! All right, buddy. Have a happy new year. We'll see you next year. Oh, 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 o